Good morning, buenas tardes, whatever time or wherever you may be when you're listening to this. Welcome and thank you for being here. I'm here to bring you people from various backgrounds, authors, actors, educators, athletes, politicians, and more. People that I think are interesting and hope you will too. Today's special guest is a journalism professor at College of the Desert in Palm Desert, California, where she overlooks the film, journalism, radio, television, public relations, and mass media department. She is a former news anchor with a bounty of experience in the journalism field. My friend and colleague, Laura Lee Jackson. Sit back, relax, or listen while on your morning jog. I'm Alex Satarain, and this is episode 7 of Candidly Human. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 7 of Candidly Human. As always, I'm your host, Alex Satarain. Very happy to be here with you all. Make sure... You go ahead and check out CandidlyHuman.com where we have all of our episodes on there. You can find all our social medias on there, our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And if you go to Facebook, Candidly Human, Twitter, Instagram, Candidly Human US. Make sure you follow me, The Real Satarain, everywhere, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the same, or even on Twitch if you want to go ahead and follow me there. Today we have an awesome guest with Laura Lee Jackson. I've had the absolute honor of working with Laura Lee for over three years now. And before that, she was actually my professor. So moving from being the trainee to now being her colleague has been absolutely amazing. And she is such a great resource. She is a journalism professor at College of the Desert. She overlooks film, journalism, radio, television, all that good stuff. The media department is so lucky to have her and of course I'm a little bit biased but I'm super excited to go ahead and hear her experience between working in education as well as her time as a news anchor so I hope you guys enjoy this without further ado let's get candid with Laura Lee Jackson hey Laura Lee how's it going Hey, Alex. It's going well. How are you doing? Doing all right. I'm so happy you're able to do this. And I mean, look, I have my glasses on. I usually don't have my glasses. So I have two different things today. Well, one of the glasses, so we're taking that away. Um, I usually don't wear hats during the podcast, but my hair's a little bit long. And I don't have my, <laughs> I don't have my moose. I ran out. So I, I, can't, I, I can't do that uh, to the crowd and to you who uh, you know have to look at my hair. Well, you know what? The, you know, pandemic is almost over, Alex. June 15, hair salons are open again, so there's no excuse. <laughs> That's true. And I will be back home next weekend. Not this weekend, but the next weekend. So uh, that'll give me a good reason to go back to my old barber. There you go. I love hats, though. I think you look great in a hat, and I'm, I'm okay with them. Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, so like I mentioned before, we do open up with a little bit of a, an icebreaker, something to kind of get us uh, in a good mood. Um, but what I'm going to ask you, because you are a former news anchor, what's uh, one of the more embarrassing moments you had on camera? Well, I've had a couple embarrassing moments. One, I back in the day when I was doing the news, I had a clothing company on El Paseo give me um, our clothes, the El Paseo in Palm Desert. 
they didn't give us their clothes, but they let us use them for the newscast. And they always like to put me in their jewelry. And I know as a newscaster, I always liked the simple look, but I had these earrings on and they never quite fit me well. They were a little big for my face, <laughs> but I was reading the news one night and all of a sudden one of my near earrings just fell out. And I was like, what just happened? And what do you do when you're live on the air and your earring falls off? I just tried to ignore it, keep reading my script. Luckily, when I went to commercial break, I quickly fixed it and I took them both off because I figured I don't want this to happen again. Um, so that was one embarrassing moment. Another one, I would say just kind of losing it in the studio. Um, there are funny moments and sometimes there are funny stories you're reading and all of a sudden something comes into your head that just makes the story even more hilarious and you just lose it. So I've had my moments of really trying to hold in the laughter as I'm trying to read and not so much a serious news stories, but I remember reading one story where there was a truck full of carrots coming from Coachella and they spilled all over the road. And something about that story, the way it was written just made me giggle and I could not <laughs> contain myself. <laughs> So you know, those moments are fun. They make the industry, I think, a little more humane because, you know, in journalism, we're covering a lot of really uh, terrible news and, and horrific situations that many people have to face. But those moments kind of bring the laughter into it. And um, yeah, they help with the sanity of it all. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And just kind of looking back at some of my experiences, because most of my work on camera is basically either on Zoom or uh, doing stuff uh, on Twitch, right? Yeah. But nothing too crazy that just comes off the top of my head. But the other day I had my nephew here and he decided to come in, say hello to the Twitch chat, right? Like everybody's seeing him and everybody's loving it and he's loving it because he can see himself on, on the screen. And he decides, so after, after he get jumps on my lap, he decides to jump off. And while he's jumping off, it's tipping me over on the chair. <laughs> and I had to use all of my power within me to, one, make sure that he doesn't fall. And then I also don't completely embarrass and hurt myself on screen. And this was <laughs> this was like, la yeah, it was last week. So I, I had to do a little bit of a, I had to be like Simone Biles and do some uh, gymnastics work there. Uh, but I mean, just other than that, um, I do a lot of embarrassing things on Twitch. I, I had to do, uh, people donated a certain amount of money and I had to do a shoey. So, you know, putting alcohol in a shoe and, and, and drinking it. And, and I went ahead and we, we're, we're colleagues and we've, we've went to New York right before the pandemic, like the week before, like everything kind of just went to shit. <laughs> we both were in New York and I had gone the December before as well. And for that first trip, I got myself some uh, Timberlands. So some uh, very nice ones, not like the big, uh, you know, ankle boot type of thing, but more of like, it, um, it went just up to the ankle, like a regular shoe. And I walked all over New York in the first trip and the second one. And you can imagine the miles and miles and miles you put in on the New York streets. So yes. that was the shoe that I used for the shoey. Uh, did I regret it? A little bit, <laughs> a little bit, but I did it anyways. It was, it was for, for the entertainment. Right. You got a little taste of New York. <laughs> you know, going back to the whole, you know, we're all on camera these days. And I think it really brings attention to people that do this every day, you know, newscasters or television personalities that are on the air. 
you know, hopefully people have a little more respect for what they go through. But what I like about this pandemic, and I hate to say anything I like, but you know, you always have to find the silver lining in things. And we did grow and we did learn things and we've, we're, we are capable of doing more as human beings than we ever imagined um, just because we had to. But I love the authenticity of, like you say, your nephew jumping up on your lap and things happening and mistakes happening. I mean, that's just all in a time of distress and a time of need when people around us are, are dying, it just gives us a little sense of, of hope, right? And you know, you have to find those humorous moments in life and be able to laugh at those mistakes because they do help you get through every day and realize, you know, you got to sometimes just look on the bright side and realize, hey, you could do everything in the planet to try to be perfect, but no one's perfect, but that's okay. And that's what I love, you know, even when the earring fell off on my newscast, <laughs> you know, I did get some comments from viewers, but the majority of the comments were, hey, you know, we just know you're human. We know you're just <laughs> like us. And, and that's the truth. No matter where you are, we are all in the same boat. We all have two hands, two feet, you know, eyes, ears, we listen, we see, we do things, we brush our teeth in the morning. So it, it does provide that sense of um, authenticity and hey, we're, we're all the same, right? And, and I bet a lot of the viewers are impressed too because you were able to keep yourself uh, intact on, on camera. So that's, a, that's not an easy skill to uh, maintain. Right. And you know what? What I teach my students too, um, I, I teach a camera confidence class to our faculty and to the, it's a community workshop. And then I also teach my students who are wanting to be on camera is when you make a mistake, you don't want to go, oops, uh, I made a mistake or oops, my earring fell out. You just want to keep going because if you draw attention to the mistake, chances are people are going to notice it. Oftentimes people don't even recognize a mistake if you don't say anything. Um, again, there are that those that will, there are those that are always looking for mistakes, um, but that's okay. Um, so yeah, just kind of plow through it and uh, pretend it didn't happen. It's like in a TV or, or theater. If you go to a production, you probably will never notice a mistake, but you, you could bet the people backstage, whether it be stagehands or the actors and actresses, one of them is going to be like, oh my goodness, I messed up. But wow. the, the viewer's not going to notice because if wow. you're just going, you just keep going and don't miss a beat, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah. And you yeah. do mention that you do teach. And before you were teaching, you were a news anchor. And you it, it's easy to say that news reporting, or at least the way it is, Amplified now has changed a lot since uh, you left the profession. So, kind of tell me what do you what do you feel has changed the most from when you were when you started to like let's say uh, somebody goes in for the first time now. Yeah. So when I started the news, I was hired for a specific purpose. I was a morning news anchor and reporter, and I helped produce the morning show. I didn't have to edit my own stories. I didn't have to shoot my own stories. I came in with a specific purpose. Nowadays, you know, beginning reporters, beginning journalists are required to be multimedia ready. They need to shoot their own video. They need to edit their own stories. They need to write their own stories. Um, so in that sense, you know, more is required of people today than when I got into the business. So it's changed, but I, I also think that makes us for a stronger journalist. And, you know, even though I didn't have to do it, 
there were days that my photographer didn't come in or my editor didn't show up or they had the day off or I had to do it. So having those skills and knowing how to do it was really a benefit for me. And I value that. So anyone wanting to get in the business today, I would say, learn a little bit about everything and you will be a better journalist at the end of the day. Um, another thing that's changed is the big business aspect of news. And it's really frustrating for me to watch 24 hours news networks and really see that they are appealing to an, a specific audience, you know? And um, I, I don't know, I think through the pandemic, I hope we all really start valuing our local news because, mm -hmm. you know, when things and numbers got worse with the pandemic, uh, COVID-19 deaths rose, you know, I was concerned about what was happening in my area and I turned to local news a lot more than I did in the past. Um, so, you know, I think it's changed in the fact that bigger, larger companies are owning many stations and it's downsizing the newsrooms. They don't need as many reporters because now you have a reporter working for four or five different networks. Financially, I can see it making sense for the people that own these news corporations, but the perspective is all the same. And that frustrates me because we learn in life from people who have different perspectives. Mm -hmm. And the more perspectives, the better we become. Um, and I, I really feel like we've lost a lot of that. And, you know, I always encourage my students shop around, don't just listen to one news network, go listen to another one, or not even listen or watch the news, read the news. There's so many good news um, outlets online, um, publications, uh, newspapers. I know newspapers, the printed version seems to be lessening, but um, they're all online today. So really seek out those news organizations that can provide you uh, more perspective than what you will hear perhaps on the 24 seven news cycles that are out there. Absolutely. It's a starting point, a starting point right? right? But it's not the end all word of the day. You know, there are other outlets out there that can provide some other perspectives. Yeah. And there's many of them out there because for one, because we're very internet heavy, there's yeah. so many online publications now, and a lot of uh, our favorite newspapers or whatever um, are obviously online. So although print is dying, you know, we have to support one way or another. So go ahead and get that subscription to the online publication as well. Um, and just to kind of go back to your point, and I think it's uh, it kind of all meshes well in this part of the conversation, is how journalists are now multimedia, yeah. but also they were forced to go in that direction because of the cuts um, done by corporate because they want to maintain their profits, you know, make more money. So it's it's that double-edged sword, right, where journalists now are more talented or more savvy than ever, but it's because they were forced to because companies don't want to pay, and typically speaking, a local journalist isn't going to make that much money uh, starting off. Like, it's going to be a, a, a bit of a, a, a struggle or a bit of a grind. Yeah. Well, and, and reporters now not just need to know how to write a good, solid news story. They they need to go out and, and gather facts and they need to research and they need to get more than two or three sides of the story if possible. They need to find as many perspectives as they can. But at the end of the day, they might be required to take their own pictures, shoot their own video. They're also having to share their messages via social media because news organizations now are highly 
on uh, social media. They have a big social media presence. So it's really learning all those skills and really connecting with the audience. And I think that's the biggest challenge today for journalists is using all of these tools to connect to the audience. You obviously want to reach as many people as you can with your message because you're informing them about the world around them. And that's important. We can't just live our lives not knowing what's happening in our backyard. You know, we need to know about politics so we can make good decisions and we can go to the polls and vote for, for what we believe in and feel strongly about. So all of the information we are getting is important. And one other thing that I really am frustrated with this past couple of years, just the, the negative, uh, um, the negative, the negativity around journalism, you know, fake news, bad news. I know there are not so credible news organizations and I know news organizations are appealing to a base to make money. I get that, but there are good journalists. So don't, throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I think it's so important, you know, we get our news from people that we trust. I don't have time every day to go to every city council meeting or to every court case or appearing that it happens or find out about every murder trial, but I can trust my journalist and you support the ones you trust and they will succeed. And I think that's really important for people to find those reporters that they feel are ethical, uh, accurate, factual, and giving good information without giving opinion and really relying on them to inform them. And another thing too, is people sometimes don't know how to differentiate uh, the fact news show and the commentary news show. Mm -hmm. And they watch a commentary and they say, well, this commentator is giving their opinion. That's okay if it's labeled commentary or an editorial in print. So um, I, I hope more people understand that, that it's okay for, you know, Don Lemon to get on CNN and give his opinion or, or Sean Hannity on Fox. I mean, that's just their thing. And that's what they do. You don't always have to agree with what they're saying, but that is a commentary. It's not fact-based. Now, some of it is based on fact. It, you know, it, it, there's a lot of different opinions about commentators, mm -hmm. but um, just check and make sure that what they're saying aligns with the facts and, you know, go from there. Yeah. I think that's the biggest issue that we see with uh 24 hour cable news is that people forget that they're talking heads yeah for one like whether it be you know tucker carlson or rachel maddow or don lemon anderson cooper some of them have better journalism credentials yes but at the end of the day they're there to commentate on the news of the day and there is uh, to be fair there's always an agenda uh, if you look at all these different news organizations, they're going to be providing different angles based off of their consumer. But before I get too deep into that, I started thinking, you know, we've been working together. Can you believe this? We've been working together for over three years now. I know. And I know. it's been it's a pleasure. I loved working <laughs> with you, Alex. You're a hard worker. You're smart. Yeah. You just <laughs> never say no either. You're always just so gung-ho about everything. And I love that. <laughs> I appreciate that. No, but I love I love working with with College of the Desert, and it's been three years, three amazing years, and it's actually the longest position I've ever held. Um, because I mean, I'm I'm 28, but also, you know, I, there's people that hold their first jobs for three or four years, and and right now, this is this is my my first big boy job where I'm able to go ahead and just uh, hold it for that long. But I've also I don't think I've ever asked you. What got you into pursuing the journalism career? So I want to know what 16 or 17-year-old Laura Lee Jackson was thinking at the time. I mean, not Jackson yet. You weren't weren't married. But no, not yet. Um, 
I want to know what led you in that direction. Well, I grew up in Canada and every night at dinner time, my family would watch the evening news. We watched it together as a family. And I know a lot of people say, you know, you shouldn't have TV on when you're having dinner together as a family, you should be chatting and all that. We had plenty of opportunity to, to chat. <laughs> so my parents always made it account. We had dinner religiously at five, five thirty, sometimes six every night, and they'd have the news on and we'd watch it together and talk about issues, talk about what was going on in the world. And I think that got me interested in news. I was always aware of what was going on and I always wanted to be aware of what was going on because I knew it was important. Um, another thing, I have a very loud and boisterous family and I was not very talkative when I was younger. I was very shy. Uh, I had a brother who loved to talk and still does. Uh, <laughs> hope he doesn't hear this podcast. No, he's <laughs> awesome. But I always felt like I was the quiet, shy one in the group and the family. Every time my parents had friends over or we'd go out, I would always say nothing. And I tried to talk, but everyone else was all over me. So in the back of my head, I always thought someday they're going to listen to me. <laughs> Someday they're going to hear the words that I have to say, and they're not going to be able to interrupt me. Um, and it's funny how it led down that path. I went to college. I studied communication and sociology, and I did some internships in Los Angeles at news outlets. And it just hit me. I'm like, this is what I need to do. I love it. It was not like I got up, you know, I worked, interned three days a week in Los Angeles. I drove an hour in rush hour traffic every morning, didn't get paid a dime for doing it. But I woke up every morning and I couldn't wait to get in my car and get to the news station. And I thought to myself, if if that is what this job is going to do for me, this is what I want to do. I love it. I'd come home every night and I'd learn something new about the world. And, you know, it was fascinating. I, I was so excited and passionate and just so impressed by the people that I worked with. Um, I just couldn't imagine myself doing anything else. That I get excited watching you talk about it because I, I can tell that there's a lot of enthusiasm behind it. Uh, it's like you're 17 again, right? <laughs> um, but I think that's what we always try to look for. Something that will go ahead and brighten ourselves up. And you want to, you want to go to work. You want, or you want to be able to wake up and be like, hell yeah, I'm going to work. Right? Like that's the ultimate goal. Not being worried and be like, Oh, I just can't wait to be off before you even clock in. So, a lot of people don't realize what the job is of a local news anchor. Like, yes, you report the news, but for the, what, maybe three hours you are on total all day, uh, you still have hours upon hours of preparation. So tell me what your schedule looked like once you became a news anchor. Yeah, well, you know, 90% of the job was was hard work, research, writing, getting out on the field, reporting. Um, I remember going out 115 degree days and covering fires and just standing there and feeling the heat and sweating and then running back to the newsroom and having to put myself together and anchor the five o'clock news. So it looks glamorous and people only see the side of the news anchor sitting there delivering the story. But yeah, there is a lot of behind the scenes stuff. You've got to be able to write. You've got to be able to report. You've got to be able to make sure your facts are absolutely 100% correct. Be a perfectionist at what you do. When I started, I did the morning show and I would actually get up 1230, uh, 
p.m. or no, 12.30 a.m. and I'd have to be at the station at 1.30. Uh, that was beginning and I wanted to make sure I had enough time before I was on the air to actually get. But, you know, I remember getting up and saying goodnight, not being able to go out at night, making those sacrifices, going to bed at eight o'clock and getting up just because I had a job to do and I had to be on the air. So, you know, people would always say to me, oh, you're that news girl. You have such a great job. You get to be on TV. What's it like, you know? And that's all great. I loved it. I love that part of it. But what people don't realize is the work behind it. And the hours sometimes aren't the best hours. And the pay isn't always good when you're starting out. So that is one of the things that you have to really seriously look at before entering this industry. But if you love it and you're passionate about it, I mean, I always think, you know, money's important. It is. We need it to live. But at the end of the day, you don't want to be miserable. You want to do something that you really love and are passionate about. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. And it, it makes it again, you want to wake up, go to work and feel good about it. Well, how old were you when you became a news anchor? Well, I actually graduated from college um, and I was a sociology major and a communication major, but I really felt that the sociology degree helped me understand people and was mm. more empathetic about issues in the world. And I didn't come in with a bulldog attitude like, oh, well, this is the way it is. I really felt that there were reasons why people reacted the way they did in society. And I still think that. I mean, sociology, I think, was a great degree for me to actually um, take into. So, I mean, you know, you go through college, you think you want to do all of these things like psychology, sociology, <laughs> communication. I had a million and one things I wanted to do. I graduated and I went to work for a production company. Um, it was a short-term gig, uh, ended up in Orlando at Universal Studios, but I always had the desire to be on the camera and I had a desire to, to teach someday. I always felt like I had a professor who told me at one point, you know, in broadcasting, it's great, but it's cutthroat, it's competitive, always have something to fall back on. So mm -hmm. I figured, you know, getting my master's wouldn't be a bad thing to do. So I did apply uh, to a school in Virginia, got my master's degree in journalism, and um, I got an opportunity to work at a, uh, a local NBC affiliate there doing some weekend reports and then also anchoring for the family network. And it really gave me a whole broader outlook of the possibilities, and it really gave me the experience I needed to really pursue this. So, yeah, I mean, you go back and forth. I mean, obviously, I always doubted myself. I heard stories about this is such a hard industry to get into. You know, there's 200 applicants and they're only needing one anchor reporter. So I knew that I went into that um, with that open mind. But I also felt that if this is what I'm supposed to do, it's going to work out. If I work hard, if I do my job and I pursue every possibility, I will succeed. And, you know, I figured if I'm, I'll give it a year or two. And if I don't get a job, then that's fine. I will go elsewhere and do something else. I'll fall back on my master's degree. Uh, but something did open up and it was in Palm Springs, California. I did the morning show. Uh, the shows I was doing before were more part-time gigs, but this was a full-time morning news anchor position that did not pay very well. But I took it knowing that it was my foot in the door and I really wanted to be um, working with an affiliate and the affiliate that I was with was ABC. Well, at least in the Palm Springs area, although for one, it's California, but also even though it may be relatively low paying, it's not like it's absolutely killing you in the Coachella Valley. Like the, the price of living is a little bit better if you get closer to the coast. Yeah, it's more affordable. And honestly, the caliber of news stories that we cover here are pretty fascinating when you think about 
all of the sporting events going on, all of the presidents that come to our Coachella Valley, all of the celebrities, um, the arts and music festivals that happen. I mean, this is not a sleepy town. Mm -hmm. So for me coming into this Palm Springs environment, it wasn't like starting out in a little town in Nebraska where I would have to do the farm report every morning. And I do know, and I have friends that started that way and there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's fabulous. Any way you can get your foot in the door, but Palm Springs was really a place that I felt I was very lucky to be here, very fortunate to come here. And um, with that being said, I fell in love with the Coachella Valley. And, you know, my goal was to spend a couple of years in the business and move on to a bigger and better market and make more money. And I'm still here today <laughs> and um, I'm teaching. So yeah, it's, it's amazing how your journey takes you in different directions, but um, I wouldn't change a thing. I'm very thankful for, for where I'm at. And so transitioning from being in news to education, it's uh, obviously you don't have to wake or wake up at 1230 in the morning, right? Um, it's a, a little bit more lenient. You can actually rest a little bit. You can actually go out at night for the most part. Um, but how was that transition and what kind of made you want to take that next step? Although you already kind of knew that was your backup, but when did you know the time was right? Yeah, that that's a hard one because it's always hard to give up something. I was working in the news and our weatherman at the time uh, was teaching a class at College of the Desert and he was talking to me and he says, I have my master's degree and I'm leaving, I'm going to Florida and you know, COD is going to need a new teacher. Do you have your master's degree? I'm like, yes, I do. Very few people I worked with did have their master's degree. So I did feel that that was, I'm so glad I did that and had something to fall back on. So I started teaching um, a television production class at College of the Desert in the evening. So I'd, you know, get up, do the morning show. I, my class didn't start till seven o'clock at night, go to 10. I'd be so sleepy the next morning, but it was extra income for me. I really fell in love with teaching. You know, I brought the students to the news station. They'd ask questions. I felt that I could share my story with them and they would hear it and say, you know, this isn't so far-fetched. I think going into the news business, it seems so intimidating, but if you do what you need to do, work hard and you know get internships and network, and if you have a passion for it, there's no reason why you can't succeed in this industry. So I had that passion of, you know, I was in the news business, but I was also teaching and I, I had the best of both worlds. It wasn't until I had my first baby that I said, okay, news is great, I love it, but I just wanna take a little bit of time off and enjoy. Uh, my daughter. So I did. And then I started teaching more and went back after my daughter was two and my second daughter was born. I went back and did the morning show for CBS here in Palm Springs. Um, but I always taught and I always loved it. And, you know, I don't know, you just, your, your gears shift in life. Things happen to you. I know children, family are always things that, you know, tend to make people think differently about career choices, not to say that there aren't those people that have children and are, are making it all work. It's great. But I just felt a calling to go into teaching and I really, really loved it. And, um, it was a transition, but I am very thankful. I, I took that route and, um, it's, it's going well. And you're amazing at your job. I mean, I, I've gotten to watch you over the last three years, and I mean, a little bit less now than before, because obviously we're not in the physical classroom now, but um, I mean, before I took the jobs with, with COD, 
I was your student yeah. <laughs> a, a year a year pr- prior. So I took um. So for those that don't know, because I've actually talked about this a few times on on Twitch or some other conversations, but when I finished my degree at UC San Diego, I finished it in history. I had no idea what I was doing. I'm like, I'm I'm stuck. I don't know what I'm gonna do. I went back home, and I got a sales job in Palm Desert, and I hated it. And I that was October 2016, and in January 2017, I quit. I re-enrolled at College of the Desert, where I had initially graduated from with my AA in history in 2013, re-enrolled, and I took four classes, and three of them were with you. So uh, one of them being, uh, well, news reporting and writing, uh, intro to public relations, and the third one, which was the most important one, intro to radio production. So that was kind of what led me into getting involved with KCOD and getting to know you and, and Tony Bacall, one of our other colleagues, a lot. And Tony Bacall was also a student at that time, but we are now both uh, teaching. And then I also do my lab tech duties where I, I do different things with the radio station and, and help out with the newspaper class. But that's kind of where I got to get involved. And so I've been able to see both sides in both being a student and then also getting to see how your process is as a colleague. So I have like immense respect for you because if there's anybody that I would want to be like right now, it would be like you. Thank you. That's, that's so sweet. I've got goosebumps. No, no, of course, of course. And, and I mean that like, it's, it's, I even tell my wife, I'm like, you know what, Laurelie, like she has it right. Like she, she's great at what she does. And I mean, you do, curriculum as well like there's a lot of things that you're involved with that maybe that students so like how people don't understand your duties as a news anchor students have no idea how involved you are in creating the classes that they're taking even though you may not be teaching some of them you're the one that has your hand in a lot of that yeah i mean as a full-time professor there there's a lot more to do than just teaching in the classroom and grading papers and assignments. We have to be part of committees on campus to really help the campus grow and move in the right direction. And we all as faculty have a say in different committees and I'm very thankful for that, but it is time consuming and there is work to do. And it's not just about teaching. Um, I do write curriculum. I'm, I'm in, charge of our media program, including film, journalism, radio, and television. And I really want to see it grow. So I'm looking at what other colleges are offering. I'm looking at what the state is requiring that we offer. And I'm developing courses that are relevant to our students and that really fit in with their career path. And that can really help them along the way. So, and those take time, you know, it's a lot of research, it's a lot of writing, and there's a lot of approvals that the classes and the curriculum needs to go through. So it's a little bit uh, time consuming. I know I have some professors come in and say, I want to do this class and we want to make it happen like next semester. And well, it doesn't happen that quickly. So there is a process and I'm not a patient person. So that's a little frustrating for me, but I've learned to just sit back and I understand the importance of taking it slow because I know that the college wants to make sure everything is right and that's important, but yeah, it's been exciting. Um, Alex, when you came on board, when I started teaching at COD, we really had no hands on anything for students. So when KCOD became a possibility, I was just thrilled. And I said, we've got to put every 
everything into the station to make it happen because this is something the students need to get skills, to practice, to come out with mm -hmm. a portfolio. And what I have seen in the past few years, students that never could talk in front of a classroom or a microphone or even come to my office and speak to me are now winning awards, you know, yeah. doing radio and podcasting or whatever it might be. It's just so exciting that they're coming into our program and they're learning in the classroom, yes, but they're taking those skills and that education and applying it at the station and they're creating some amazing content. And that's what it's all about. I find it's all about too, building confidence. You know, These students knowing they can do this is, is one of the first things to tackle. Once you know you can do something and you have that self-confidence, then you can put your creative artistic talent to work and make something happen using microphones or video editing or whatever it might be. Um, that is exciting. So yeah, I really was passionate about that because you cannot do media without the experience that we get from, you know, doing a podcast or having a radio show or writing for the school newspaper um, or creating a short film for one of your film classes. Those are all things that you need in this multimedia world to be ready to get that first job. When I went in back in as a student, KCOD had just gotten its 1450 AM and mm -hmm. just gotten it. And in the next year when I was hired was right before we got to move into the new building. So we were still in a room that was a little bit bigger. It was, it's probably like the size of my living room <laughs> and it wasn't that big. So basically we had, uh, the desk with the microphones, right? We had the, the board and the microphones. We had a few other desks with computers and workspaces and a booth. And that was it. And it was all together. So if there were people working and you wanted to record, the people working had to be as quiet as possible. <laughs> so it was it was crazy. It was crazy. But now we have a building, which sadly we haven't been able to use for, for over a year. But we have three rooms that are uh, for recording. We have a classroom, three offices, mm -hmm. and a student worker room. It's insane. Yeah. And to think that the building we're in right now was an old radio station. Mm -hmm. So it really works well for what we're doing. You know, the classroom is not large, but a lot of our students coming in are, our, our media classes are a bit on the smaller side and mm -hmm. that's just the nature of our classes. You know, some of our bigger classes obviously are on the main campus, but it works well. And the lab in there as well acts as a newsroom. So students are coming in and working on the newspaper or editing stories. Film students are in there editing. Radio production students are in there <laughs> editing. So there's a lot of different um, uses and it is neat because it does give students, I think, the feel of actually working at a real media outlet or a real radio station. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's the one thing that I've really missed about being there in person is being able to teach the students how to produce their own stuff on a board because that's really important. If you want to get yeah. into radio, the first thing you have to learn is not how to work on a microphone. It's how to work a soundboard. It's either that or if you want to be street team and giving away prizes and stuff. Um, but the fastest way to go ahead and get on the mic is being right there on the soundboard. So that's kind of uh, 
the one thing that I really miss doing. And to keep going on your, you know, your current uh, career in, in teaching. So in this age of media, and you did touch on this earlier about telling your students, take in more than just one publication, right? Mm -hmm. Listen to more than just one opinion. Have you found that to become more difficult over the years as we've seen more uh, partisanship, right? Like it's it's much it's there's a bigger divide now, or at least it's a little bit louder now than it was before. Do, have you found it at at all any more difficult, or have you had any more pushback from students in terms of those types of conversations? Yeah, I, there definitely is more of a divide today, and you know. <sighs> I have a lot of students coming in and they just get frustrated. They want to be a journalist, but they see such division and they go to me and they say, well, Professor Jackson, you know, you're teaching us how to be accurate and objective and fair and taking off our personal lenses, our set of glasses, how we see the world and actually report truth. But what we're seeing in the media is not so much that way. So it is a little bit frustrating. Um, I'm really hoping that at some point people will see a shift in journalism. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with the big business aspect of media, but I do feel that media needs to take some responsibility because I think mm -hmm. there's so many messages and misinformation that is so detrimental to our country and our citizens. And if people would just do some research or even rely on a trusted journalist, you know, then there's not so much faith now with some people with journalism, they think everything is a fake news story, but I, I feel that we all need to be educated a little bit more. And one thing about media classes, mm -hmm. I find that students come in and their eyes are opened. They had no idea that a news station or a newspaper could be, you know, possibly bound by an advertiser, or they may not know that, you know, there are public relation tactics used in politics. They tend to be trusting, but we have to put on that critical lens and really seek for truth ourselves. And not everyone can do that. There are ways we do that. We learn to do that in our critical thinking classes. But I think it's so important for people to do that and not just believe everything we hear and see. So much information out there. We all need to be smarter about that information and really how to break it all down and understand it. Um, it takes time, it takes effort. I do see frustration with the students, but I feel at the end of the day, they're leaving us smarter, stronger, and able to you know, decipher fact from fiction. And um, hopefully they will go out in the world and make a big difference and we will see, you know, I remember the Walter Conkright days where there wasn't <laughs> so much, um, dissension and, you know, divide. So I, I really hope that uh, continues. Yeah. And it, it, I can see it being very difficult and we've seen that difficulty too, um, you know, pour over into our own relationships. Mm -hmm. Right. And we've seen it a lot since the 20, 2016 election, how there are stories, especially like if you go to the New York times or the Washington post, whatever, or NPR is a good one too, because they do like long form uh, audio journalism but you'll hear stories about family members, you know, just splitting. Like they're they're like, or even like a married couples. It's like, no, if you're voting that way, like peace out, I'm done, right? And so let me ask you this though, because you have three daughters. Uh, 
some of them are, they're already growing up and, and, you know, leaving home or, or at least, you know, for school. But for you, because obviously it's one thing teaching students because you have that professional boundary between you and the student, but then you go home and it's your child. How do you give these same ideas? Because obviously you're going to have the influence in your own family, right? Like your kids typically are going to think about the same way you do. But how do you go ahead and explain these similar ideas that you go ahead and teach or do you not like what, how is that balance in there? I know it's a little bit harder. It's like, um, like coaching your kids, like you may be able to coach all the other kids, but doing it with yours, it's a totally different story. Yeah, that's a really good question, Alex. Um, you know, I think when I was a new mom, it was, you know, you're that hovering parent, you are protective coming out of the news business, I had seen so much devastation. I've seen kids killed in kidnapping situations or drowning in pools or, or, you know, raped. And, you know, as coming out of that and being a new mother, it's really hard because you know, the dangers out there. So, you know, in their formative years, I probably was probably the most paranoid parent on this planet Mm -hmm. and really tried to protect them in every way possible to make sure that their physical safety Um, was, you know, a a priority, you know, as they developed and started developing and getting their own ideas, I feel like my husband and I, uh, the way we raise our kids, and I think our families, this is the way we were raised too, even though we have families that have very strong opinions on, you know, one side or the other, we always try to have an open space of conversation and around the dinner table or in the car or wherever that might be. You know, I've never been that parent that goes into the school and says, you know, my child can't read this book because they just can't read it, Mm -hmm. you know, read the book. And even though it might not be something I believe in, let's talk about it afterwards, because without reading and knowing, you don't really have an opportunity to say whether you like or dislike it or tell the school not to have that book in their classroom or in their library. So, you know, I feel like I've been more open-minded. I probably allow my children to think maybe more differently than I do But I also know that they're critically thinking about things and you can't just believe something because someone tells you to believe it. Mm -hmm. You have to believe it because that's, that's what you've discovered for yourself. You know, I have shifted away from some of the beliefs my family has had, but I also come back to a lot of them as well. So Mm -hmm. it's a growing experience. And I think, you know, obviously the physical dangers of this world, yes, we need to protect our children and I do more than ever. I probably, you know, have many sleepless nights thinking about all the things that could go wrong, but I also have to realize that I raise them and I can't reverse things and hopefully they make good decisions. I pray a lot and, you know, I have to let them come to the conclusion in their own life of what they feel is right for them. Um, They'll always get a little nudge from me, but that at the end of the day, I want them to be comfortable with what they believe and I want them to believe what they believe because that's the decision they made through their journey, through, through their study, through their research that they know. And it could change in 10, 20 years. You know, I feel that the way I thought 10 years ago is very different than the way I think today. I think we changed the way I feel in the past couple of years about, you know, events in our, in our history and our political climate have made me realize uh, different things. So, you know, life is a learning process. It's not just an end result. It's about continuing to grow and becoming a better person, a better thinker and understanding things more as you get older and wiser. And yeah, I feel that, yeah, I feel my 
I hope my kids, you know, I cross my fingers and I, like I say, I pray a lot. I hope they, um, they're great girls. They, they're awesome. I love having conversations with them. Um, but yeah, they're not interested that much in media. So I don't know. Maybe I've talked too much about the media. Maybe I've watched too much news. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, and, and let me ask you this too, because I mean, we all know there's like a war correspondence and stuff. We, we know that they see some messed up stuff, but then we also forget that our local news anchors also, again, when they're covering local things, you're going to see messed up stuff too. And you're going to be covering it all the time. So how did you go about coping with some of that? Because yeah, it was your job, but I imagine that, like you mentioned, you, you saw, you know, with whether it be with kids or, or family, full families, you know, car accidents, stuff like that, like really horrific things. How did you cope with all that stuff? Yeah, it was, it was very tough in the beginning when I started reporting and doing crime reporting as a new reporter because I had many sleepless nights. I was doing the morning show when the Anthony Martinez case uh, hit. Anthony Martinez was a boy from Beaumont that was kidnapped from his basically backyard. And a week later, they found his body buried in the desert. Uh, there were sketches in our newsroom of the the possible suspect. And I remember leaving my apartment at three in the morning, walking out the door. And I just felt that that man was staring at me. Like it was a, it was an image I could not get rid of. Even though I never personally went and interviewed the family of the boy or never personally covered that particular reporting case, I read the story on the news and I talked to the reporters who did. It hit me hard. You know, there's that, you know, hole in your stomach all the time because you can't even imagine what this family is going through so you know fortunately i i i was young i i married my husband first year at a graduate school he was at a law school i came home i wasn't alone i felt like that was comforting and i did have that support but um it is tough you know i have utmost respect for people that have to deal with homicides and you know traffic collisions and fatal accidents and they have to go, you know, cover up the the body or take the body away or take notes or investigate. I mean, that's tough. And I think at the end of the day, we have to appreciate the people that do that on a daily basis. Um, you know, and journalists have a tough job. They are seeing a lot of things in this world that the average person doesn't see. So there has to be some respect of their perspective and opinion that I feel oftentimes isn't regarded or valued today. And would you say that maybe that's something that's important to kind of tell your students too? It's it's also that, that fine line of being able to separate your job with your real life, but it's hard because you're looking at real life and having to talk about it with how many ever, or how many people that are tuning in or reading your content. Yeah, they have to be aware of that. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm a very empathetic person. So stories probably hit me a little harder than maybe the average person. I have some news reporters that it hit them, but not so hard. And they didn't dwell on it like I did. Um, I remember, you know, covering, uh, it was an accident up by Cabazon and there was a, a man who was driving a truck and hit a pole and he was decapitated. My photographer Jeez. and I were the first ones at the scene. And, you know, I'm standing there looking and, you know, trying not to look, but that's someone's family member. That's someone's mm -hmm. dad, grandpa, husband, partner. I mean, all of these things, it, it's tough because you see how quickly life can be taken. 
really makes you think about living life for one carefully to the fullest, making good decisions. Um, because in a second it can just be gone. And, um, I think as a reporter, you need to be aware of the gruesomeness of a lot of the stories um, that you will cover. But also it's important to tell those stories because it might change someone's life. You know, a traffic accident, it might change the way someone acts on the freeway. They might drive a little slower. They might, you know, in a murder situation, they might be careful a little, be a little bit more careful about where they walk at night by themselves. So, you know, I think Crime stories are never fun to cover, but there's always a purpose in telling those stories. One of the things I always get is why is the news so negative? Well, studies tell us, the audience tells us that crime is probably the number one um, category of news that people are most interested in. Why? Because at the end of the day, we all want to know if we're safe or not, right? Mm -hmm. If I'm going to go to the mall and I know that cars are being broken into, I'm going to lock my cars when I go to the mall. I might be careful not to leave my phone or iPad or my wallet sitting on the seat next to me. So all of those stories have value to the way we live our lives. And unfortunately, you know, we report on these devastating situations where people lose their lives. But at the end of the day, we hope someone won't lose their life because they've heard the story and make a better decision. And before I let you go, what would be some of the first advice you would give to people when they're seeking information like news, like how, how to best disseminate this information and then also, you know, be able to get something at least accurate. Yeah. Well, I find that the majority of people today are getting their news and information from social media. And that is scary because there's mm. a lot of not so good information on social media. A lot of, uh, a lot of very one-sided uh, stories. So if you ever see on social media where it says sponsored, it might look like a credible news outlet, but if it mm. says sponsored, that means that there's someone backing that and there's a perspective there. So be careful with that. Um, I would tend to go to, you know, I'm, I'm really pushing local news because I feel that local news, wherever you are, is not as bound by ratings and advertisers as much, although mm. they are. So we have to be skeptical of local news as well, but find a good local news source, um, look around online, but always double check the URL, make sure you look at the reporter's name, Google them. Are they reputable? Are they credible? Or are they part of maybe a, a one-sided, you know, organization that's trying to persuade people? Because again, we don't want to be persuaded. We want the facts and we want to think for ourselves and make our own decisions. Right. Sometimes people need to be persuaded though. So there is a time and a place for that. But I think mm. when it comes to news, we need to find that credible news outlet that we trust that can give us information. And you know, that doesn't always happen overnight and everyone mm. does have their favorites and um, you just, you got to make that decision for yourself. But come take classes at COD and we can definitely give you more information about how to think about things more critically. And yeah, news literacy, I think, is important these days. And more people need to uh, really understand how the whole industry works in order for them to be informed with with good news. And before I forget, too, because there's one big thing that you've also started doing. And one thing that I really want to talk about, too, is that you are now a recent podcaster. <laughs> and so you do a uh, media quest where you've been talking to a lot of uh, well-to-do, very established people in media. So tell us a little bit about that. 
Yeah, well, you know, during the pandemic, I one thing I, I love doing is bringing guest speakers into the classroom and we could bring them in via Zoom, which is fine, but I feel like there's more than just one classroom that can benefit from one speaker. So I figured, you know, we're all at home. I'm working from home. I'm teaching online. I'm using Zoom constantly. So I did come up with an idea to create a podcast called Media Quest, and it is for students inspiring to break into the mass media field. And the mm -hmm. whole purpose of it is for people, for students to hear from professionals their journey and their road to success in the media industry. And, you know, I find that many of the people I'm interviewing are inspiring me, you know, I interviewed one person that started out, he was homeless and now he's a major national syndicated radio host. I interviewed someone the other day who was a biology major and now she's the executive editor of a well-established newspaper. So not, there's not one right way to become a journalist. There's not one right path to become a filmmaker or to become a podcaster. I find that all of life experiences shape us and who we are and really help lead us into the direction of the career path that we're going into. But don't ever set your sights on, oh, I have to only study this and I only have to do this and I can't do this because it doesn't fall within my field. Really be open. And I'm hoping more than anything, these stories of professionals will inspire students to become the best they can be and never let any kind of fear stop them from pursuing their dream. So that's the whole purpose of Media Quest, and I'm having a lot of fun with it. It is some work. Podcasting <laughs> is a little bit of work, especially when the Zoom sometimes doesn't always have the best internet connection. Uh, but yeah, it's good. It's fun. So hopefully, hopefully I'll be able to be back in the studio soon to do more of them. But um, yeah, the students are having a good time with them, and I'm enjoying putting them all together. Yeah, I love it. You've had some great guests. Um, I mean, one of your more recent ones was uh, Kim Waltrip, with, who's uh, with the Palm Springs uh, Women in Film. Uh, that one was amazing. Uh, who is it? Uh, is it Mike? Uh, Mike Hatton. Mike Hatton. I worked with at CBS. He was a photographer mm -hmm. and now an actor, producer, director, and he was in the um, Oscar-nominated film Green Book. Yep. And um, his journey is fascinating. And, you know, one thing I find with everyone that I've interviewed is no one is 100% sure or no one has a 100% easy path. They all had to work hard. They all had to take jobs. Maybe that weren't perfect, but everything kind of led them to where they are today. And, you know, it's okay if you don't get that first job or you get fired or, you know, you don't get the A in the class. It doesn't matter. I know some of the people I've interviewed dropped out of school because they weren't getting good grades. So, you know, you always strive to be your best, but sometimes those don't always measure your ability. And um, people have different ways of learning. I know some people aren't good test takers. They're better at doing projects. So I think it's good for students to hear the stories of others who have gone before them. And um, yeah, I'm hoping it will encourage more people to pursue their dreams and follow their dreams in the media field. It's well, exciting. It is. It is. And it's, uh, again, like I mentioned earlier, you know, it's been, it's been amazing working with you. And then obviously, thank you so much for being here. I, I appreciate you taking uh, this hour of your day to go ahead and sit down and give us a, a little taste of your experience. Well, Alex, I'm so proud of you, all you've done. And I will say you coming into COD was so uh, refreshing. We were just about to rebrand and, you know, take off at the radio station and you were at the right place at the right time. And KCOD 
is where it is today because of people like you, Tony Bacall, uh, people that really put their heart and soul into it. And we thank you for being at community college. And there's nothing wrong with going back to community college, right? It's nothing a, wrong it's with a decision. It. <laughs> it, it is. And I, I'm a big advocate for it. You know, if, if you're 17, 18 years old and you don't feel like you're ready or maybe don't have the money to go to a four year just yet, go to a local community college and play around. Give, give some classes a try, see what you really like. Um, it's, I mean, it, obviously it helps, uh, you know, with enrollment for my classes, but Hey, <laughs> it's, uh, it's great. And it's something that, again, I'm a big av- advocate for and, uh, having people like you is a huge, huge deal for, you know, incoming students or people that want to go ahead and, and try something new. Yeah. And we've seen a lot of success. You know, we've seen our students mm-hmm. move on and intern and eventually work with, you know, magazine, newspapers, radio stations, television stations. So mm-hmm. I feel we're doing something right. And um, yeah, you don't have to always go to that big four-year school. Uh, we're here for people, anyone who wants an education and wants to succeed. We're trying to give our students the right education and the right skills necessary in order for them to get out there and land that first job. Because that sometimes is the most difficult job to get. It's that first one. Yep. And let's keep it going. Thank you so much, Laura Lee. Thanks, Alex. Great seeing you and chatting with you today. That brings us to the end of episode seven of Candidly Human. Thank you so much to you, the listener, for sticking around. And of course, to Laurel Lee Jackson for spending some time with me and with us. Make sure you go ahead and check out candidlyhuman.com. That's where you'll find all of our episodes. I mean, we are on iHeart, Pandora, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, everywhere. You can find us everywhere. So make sure you go ahead and follow also on Facebook, Candidly Human, Instagram, and Twitter. It's at Candidly Human US. And make sure you follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, on Twitch. It's all the same, the real Satarain. So make sure you tune in next time. I'm Alex Satarain, and this was Candidly Human.